Good morning, my name is Travis Horner and I'm a member of the ministry team here at Horizons. I so wish I could join you in person this morning. My family is a military family. We called Horizons our home for four years while we were stationed in Lincoln. We've been away for about a year now and we currently join you this morning from Cherry Point, North Carolina, where we're currently stationed. I praise God for you this morning. Whether this is your first time or you're a regular member, I just want to welcome you. I praise God for this church. Here at Horizons, there's a vision to lead all people to Jesus, to become life-changed, life-changers. As we worship this morning, I just pray that you have a powerful encounter with Jesus that compels you to commit your life to changing the life of others. This morning, I would like to take a moment, as it's the Sunday before Memorial Day, just to recognize the solemnity of Memorial Day, a day in which we just take a short pause to honor the lives of those service members who paid the ultimate sacrifice in defense of our freedoms. I encourage you to take a moment this extended weekend in their memory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with a heart full of humility. We ask your forgiveness for the times when we demonstrate so little faith. For the times that we think our situation is too unique, our problems too large, and we doubt your ability to handle our affairs. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. Thank you for the servicemen and women who have made the ultimate sacrifice so we may worship here this morning. So we may leave this place of worship and profess our faith. So we may do so openly and freely and without fear of retribution. As we know that this is not the case in so many parts of the world. God open our hearts this morning so I may deliver and this congregation may receive a message inspired by the Holy Spirit in a context that's applicable to our lives. In your name I pray. Amen. So this morning we're going to talk about faith. And I think it's so important anytime we're going to have a discussion to kind of frame the discussion, kind of give the left and right lateral limits of what we're talking about, operationally define the subject. So this morning in our discussion about faith, I pulled a definition from the Oxford Languages Dictionary, and it defines faith as a strong belief in God or in the doctrines of religion based on a spiritual apprehension rather than proof. I kind of want to hone in and drill down on that word proof for a moment, because as human beings, it's our human nature to want to have proof in order to believe. We're very tangible, we're very hands-on, we want to see things, we want to touch things, or we want to read about it on social media in order to believe it. So when talking about faith and when talking about proof, I get a little jealous. So I'm currently working my way through the Bible, I'm on a reading plan, the one-year Bible, um, on the Bible app, and I'm working my way from cover to cover. Uh, not in order, 
I tried to do it in order last year. Old Testament, first page, Genesis to Revelation. I didn't make it out of the Old Testament. At about the May-June time frame, I fell off the wagon. So I'm starting again this year with a new tactic, a new approach. And each day, I get a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament, some Psalms, and some Proverbs. Highly recommend that format. Um, it keeps you out of the doom and gloom of the Old Testament, although very important. And you get a little bit of the good news story each day as well from the New, from the New Testament. So that's my recommendation. Nonetheless, in, in reading my Bible daily and as preparing this message on faith, I started to get a little jealous because the Old Testament is littered with examples of God performing miracles that are observable, that are tangible, that are right in front of the face of the people of the Old Testament. The New Testament is littered with examples of Jesus with the Holy Spirit performing miracles that are tangible, that are observable, that are right in front of people's faces. So I'm a little jealous. I'm like, I'm like man, I want to see a burning bush. I want God to talk to me through a burning bush. I would like to see water from a rock. I would like to see a sea part or a crowd be fed from just a few fish and loaves of bread. Like, I want to see those things. But here's the thing. We often look about look at the God of the Old Testament, the God of Genesis, as being somehow different than the God of 2021. But the thing is, we worship the same God. You have to look no further than the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, to see maybe one of God's greatest miracles in the creations of the heaven and the earth. We worship the same God that parted the Red Sea. We worship the same God that made the sun stand still upon Joshua's request. And oh, by the way, we worship the same God that resurrected Jesus Christ on the third day, which is the crux of Christianity. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 tells us, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, that miracle from the New Testament, is the crux of Christianity, the cornerstone of our faith. So if our God is the same God that created the heavens and the earth, the same God that resurrected Christ, the same God yesterday, today, tomorrow, and into eternity, then here's what I will offer you. Do not put our God into your box. Do not cage our God's capabilities because it's beyond your realm of comprehension. As I started to think about, you know, again, like I said, I was jealous reading about all these miracles that take place in the Old Testament, the New Testament. It's like, oh, I want to see a miracle. Like, I want something tangible in front of my face, right? So I started thinking, like, what are some present day miracles? It didn't take me long to realize that each morning we witness a miracle of God when the sun rises at dawn and posts in the sky. When the moon rises in the evening and posts in the sky, accompanied by the stars, that God himself placed 
into position. Which is a really cool direct link to Genesis chapter 1 of the Old Testament, right? Tangible proof. Another present day miracle that I thought about was the movie Breakthrough. A movie but inspired by a true story. This movie pertains to the events of 2015 when a young boy named John Smith fell through the ice and was submerged for 15 minutes. He gets taken to the hospital. He's in the emergency room. He's on the operating table and there's a scene where the medical staff has essentially given up. The doctors, the nurses, they're outside of the room. John Smith laid out on the table. He's flatlined on the monitor. And his mother is in the room with him. And as you can imagine, she is beyond distraught. And she walks to the feet of her son. And she puts her hands on his feet. And she speaks life. She pleads to God. She pleads to God. Begs God. Please, God, send your Holy Spirit to save my son. Please. We get the first bloop on the radar. All of a sudden, his pulse returns. Then as you go through the rest of the movie, it's a feel-good story with a good ending. And it just makes me think, like, how is that different then Jesus waking the dead. Here's the thing though. In our times we write these things off as medical anomalies, one-off unexplainable events, rather than recognizing them as miracles of God. Tangible, observable, right in front of our face. Part of being completely oblivious to the power of God and His majesty is having what my Bible, one of my devotions within my Bible, calls having foxhole faith. The term foxhole faith really resonates with me because how it derives its origin. It's from the military. A foxhole is essentially a fighting position. So if you can imagine being dug in to the ground in a fighting position, also referred to as a foxhole. And you're in the middle of some conflict or some engagement, some wartime scenario, and the bullets are whizzing overhead and the bombs are dropping here, and you can just feel that you're on the cusp of potential death. And studies have found that in that moment, the large majority, the vast majority of soldiers plead to God. God, save me. God, deliver me from this situation. And we bargain, right? We bargain with God. God, please deliver me from this situation. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to profess our faith. I'm going to give 10%. Heck, Lord, I'll even give 20%. Right? Anything it'll take to be delivered from this situation. There's a common saying among 
the, the chaplain circles or the, the religious circles within the military, and it's there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. Right? And there, there's some truth to that. <laughs> um, but when trouble passes, when the dust settles, when the bullets go quiet, when the guns go quiet, when the bullets stop passing overhead, we kind of revert back to our old self. We may sustain for a time, but then we can easily start reverting back to the, eh, maybe I don't want to go to church today. Maybe I don't want to read my Bible today. Maybe I'm not going to pray for a day, a week. It's cyclical. As I mentioned earlier, I'm working my way through the Bible, and it's very frustrating because I think Israel is a great example, a great biblical example of what exactly we're talking about. So God performed all these miracles as he delivered Israel from Egypt. And all along the way, he's doing all these miracles that are right in front of their face, and they're observable, and Israel is with God. And then they start getting away, and they start worshiping idols and false gods. And then something happens, and they become oppressed, and they're like, God, deliver us! Please, God, take us from this situation. Please, God, give us a king. And then most of the time, God delivers. And then they revert right back to their ways. But it's hard to be super critical. It's hard to get frustrated because I'm the same way. We're the same way. At times. We veer off the path of our faith with God. I give you a good example. So, in 2003, I'm sitting in northern Kuwait at the border between Kuwait and Iraq, and war or conflict, combat is imminent. We are going to cross the border into Iraq at any moment. Um, the president has already made the statement on TV that we've done all we can with Saddam Hussein, and now we're going to essentially invade his country. I was a tank commander with 1st Tank Battalion Delta Company at the time, and I just left a meeting to where we were informed, it's middle of the night, we had a little huddle, maybe early morning, it was dark nonetheless, we had a, a little huddle where they mentioned that a unit of armor from, the, from uh, the Iraqi army had moved south to defend along the border, which is where we were going to cross. Up to this point, we hadn't expected much opposition crossing the southern border. So this was kind of news to us, and it kind of uh, elevated stress a little bit. The anxiety level kind of went up because now we were supposed to meet opposition immediately upon crossing. So we went back. A period of time passed. I briefed my tank crew, which is, uh, a tank crew involves four people: a tank commander, which is my position, a loader, a gunner, and a driver. And I briefed my crew, and then we all mounted into the tanks, and we all. Go ready condition one, we start our engines, you know, our, our weapons are loaded, everything is, is ready to ready to rock. And we go and we start lining up at the breach point. The breach point is where the bulldozers were gonna push the giant berm over into the ditch to essentially make a land crossing for the wheeled vehicles and tracked vehicles to enter the country of Iraq. So I am the first tank in the chute. I am the first tank that's gonna cross over the land crossing into the country of Iraq. And as we sit there and wait, 
my legs are kind of shaking like they are right now as I demonstrate and I'm really nervous and there's a lot of anxiety built and I kept a picture of my son taped to the inside of the tank just as kind of a remembrance of what I wanted to go home to and how much I missed him. He was born in September, I deployed in January. I sat in that tank, Desjarnet, which was my loader, Lopez, my gunner, Lafaver, my driver, we had all been together a little over a year. I had no idea what the faith of these men were, but I didn't know that in that moment I felt it necessary to pray. We're all interconnected through a communication system within our communication helmets. So I just came over to the intercom and I said, hey, gentlemen, I, I, I think we need to pray. And I just asked God to watch over us. I asked God for the strength to bring those young men home. I asked God to deliver us from whatever waited for us on the other side of that border. Fast forward seven, eight months, our deployment's over and we make our way home and times are good and no bullets are flying and everybody's in one piece. And as I look back, I can start to see the veer off of the path of my faith. A clear demonstration of foxhole faith. This isn't the type of faith that we're aiming for in our relationship with Jesus. What we're looking for is what I'll refer to as persistent faith. I'd like to direct you to the Bible, Matthew chapter 7, 7 through 12. As I get it open here. This passage is titled, Ask, Seek, Knock. Verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your sons ask for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask him. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. What the Bible is telling us in that passage is to ask, to seek, to knock on the door, and God will answer. But it doesn't say he's going to answer immediately. See, that's the thing with faith. When we talk about faith, we have to talk about timing. Whose timing? God's timing. We live in a society where everything is about instant gratification. It's why we carry credit debt, because we don't take the time to save for the items that we want. It's why there's a 24-hour news cycle. Everything is about now, 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 now. There's a song by Mercy Me called Even If. Maybe a lot of you have heard it. It's, it's one of my favorites. And in the lyrics, it kind of gets to something that I'd like to highlight for you today. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. But I will read it to you. 
They say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing. A little faith is all I have right now. So I want to take you to Matthew 21, 18 to 22, and then we'll come back to these lyrics. Jesus curses a fig tree is the title of this passage. Verse 18, early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Going back to the song lyrics about moving mountains and the power of prayer and the power of faith, if we're talking about timing and it's about God's timing, then we have to ask the question, what happens when those mountains aren't moved? More lyrics. But when God, excuse me, but God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be able to sing, it is well with my soul. I love this verse because it, it essentially tells us that we're not always going to have those mountains that we sometimes they're not even mountains. We think they're mountains. That God's not always going to move them in our time. He's not going to reveal that plan to us with that instant gratification. I think this is demonstrated well with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. In Luke chapter 22 verses 39 through 46. We are post Last Supper. We are pre-arrest. And Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives and he's in prayer and he says father if you are willing take this cup from me yet not my will but yours be done see Jesus asked God to be relieved of this burden but God had different plans and Jesus told him but not of my will of, of your will God and that wasn't the plan. But this, here's what happens next that's special, right? In verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. So although God did not have any plans of moving those mountains, of relieving Jesus from that burden of crucifixion for our sins, but he provides an angel to give him strength. So I encourage you, as you are showing persistent faith, as you are praying to God, as you are asking to be relieved from this burden or that burden, or to be relieved from a particular situation that's causing you trouble or harm, ask Him for strength. Ask Him for His plan to be revealed in His time. Thy will be done. Not my will be done. So why do we go through difficult times? Why do we experience pain and heartache? Why do bad things happen? I don't, I don't have the answer for you today in that regard. 
But what I do have, or what I will offer to you, and this is this is straight from Travis land, this is the mind of Travis here, is that sometimes God allows us to be broken so that he can reform us. This resonates with me very well because 22 years ago, I stood on yellow footprints as a teenage civilian in, in San Diego, California. And these four men, who I'm sure were, were sent by the devil, that was, that was a joke, completely broke me down so they could reform and reshape me into what the Marine Corps thought I should be. I don't think it's so different with God. I think sometimes we experience trouble and heartache. Sometimes we go through some conflict because God's breaking us down so he can reform us into his image, into Jesus' image. See, it's, it's not a lot different, if I may make a comparison, to a doctor who has to intentionally perform further breaks to an already broken limb just to ensure that it heals correctly. I think oftentimes that that's what God does to us. We've already demonstrated here today, or we've already discussed the fact that with foxhole faith, a lot of times we are closest to God. You know, we are in our Bible and our, our faith is on fire when we are in times of turmoil and times of trouble. If we serve a God who loves us and wants nothing more than to be close to us and have an intimate relationship with us, and we are providing Him intimacy when we're in times for trouble, times of trouble, there may be a logical connection to be made. But nonetheless, when things aren't going our way and we pray to our God and we're persistent with our faith, we trust that things will occur when the timing is right. I think another great example as we finish up here today, another great example of biblical faith, just persistent faith, just undoubting, unwavering faith from the Bible is the feel-good story, most of us have heard it, of David and Goliath. It's the underdog versus the champion. It's the classic American story, right? Although it's not American. My point is we love the underdog. We love the movies where the sports team doesn't have a, a W in the win column and all of a sudden they make a transition and they start getting really good and next thing you know they're in the championship. And what do you know they beat the team that's never lost? We love those movies. So real quick I'll walk you through David and Goliath. If you imagine the Israelites on one hill, the Philistines on the other at a standoff. This comes from 1 Samuel 17, 1 through 54, by the way, if you want to read on your own. The Philistines are sending out a great champion, Goliath, who stands 9 foot 9 inches tall. His armor weighs 90 pounds along, and they're sending him out every day, and he is propositioning the Israelis, send me a warrior. If that warrior can beat me, then we will be your servants, and vice versa. I beat him, and we win, and you're our servants. But here's the thing. Everyone on the Israeli side is scared to death of Goliath. And then you have David. He's the youngest of eight sons of Jesse. He's essentially a shepherd while his brothers are on the front line, but he's going back and forth from the front lines 
he's shepherding for his father and then he's relaying message. He's bringing things to the front and then taking reports from his brother on how things are back to his dad. And while he's visiting the front lines one day, he hears Goliath makes this proposition and he starts to inquire about what the man receives that's able to kill Goliath. So he's talking among the men and someone kind of overhears him questioning and talking and they bring him to Saul. And he tells Saul, hey, I'll do it. And Saul just kind of writes him off, as you can imagine, this young, this young boy who's a shepherd, and he's going to go out and face this nine-foot-nine-inch-tall behemoth of a man in hand-to-hand combat. So Saul kind of writes him off. But then David explains to Saul, he said, hey, look, I'm a shepherd. I'm out watching my father's sheep. And when the lion comes and when the bear comes, you know, I go hand-to-hand with these things, and I protect the flock. And I essentially kill the lion and the bear. And Saul says, go. So David dresses in Saul's armor initially. And he's like, whoa, whoa, this doesn't work. I can't move. You know, I'm I'm not used to this. It doesn't fit right, etc. So he sheds all of that armor. And he goes over to the stream and he picks up five smooth stones. And he takes his sling. And he goes to approach Goliath. And Goliath pretty much laughs at him and is insulted that the Israelites will offer up David to fight him, the grand champion of the Philistines. So I'm going to take you to 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, because this is the this is the point of the whole story that I want to highlight. It's, it's the faith of David as he's face to face with Goliath. David says to Goliath, right? David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. That's powerful. Because can you imagine the faith of a young man standing in front of a seasoned combat veteran. A huge giant of a man about to go hand to hand. And he's telling him, straight up, this is what I'm going to do to you. Not because it's me, but because there is a God in Israel. As the story goes on, David charges, and he slings one rock, and he hits Goliath right in the forehead, and he drops him. Fast forward, Israel wins the day. But I'm amazed by that level of faith. No doubt. He tells Saul, send me. No doubt, he stands in front of Goliath and tells him exactly what I'm about to do to you. Right? He's looking at, this is what I'm about to do to you. Because I have God in my corner. And then he absolutely does. My prayer is that we all leave here today with that type of faith in God. Would you pray with me? 
Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for this message. Help us to recognize, Lord, that the God that we worship to today, the God that we pray to in this moment, is the same God of yesterday, the same God of today, the same God into eternity. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to worship. Thank you for the opportunity to take this message and spread the good news. We love you, Lord. Watch over us as we go forth. Watch over us this weekend. Watch over us into the work week until you bring us all together next week. We love you, Lord, and thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining me here today. And the last thing I'll leave you with, in previous sermons I've offered these as well because I really just hold these near and dear to my heart. And any time that, that I am experiencing doubt or I am demonstrating little faith in the ability and the powers and the majesty of God, I kind of answer these questions. I bring them out. I, have them, I keep them on this little card, which you may not be able to read because of the lights. And the questions are simply this. Is God good? Do you believe He has a good plan and purpose for your life? Do you believe anyone or anything can change God's plan for you? Do you believe God loves you? Do you believe God will use everything in your life for his glory and your good just as he promised? Can you trust him with all the details of your life? I offer you those because as you work through those questions and you answer them, at least for me, I always feel that my faith is restored no matter the situation I'm in. Although it seems like an unmovable mountain, I'm confident that there's a plan. And that plan sometimes is just beyond my comprehension. And then I ask God for the strength to move forward as He reveals His plan and as His will is done. It's been an honor to be here with you this morning. Wish I could see you in person. I can't wait till next time. God bless.